Hey everyone, Jason here, uh, coming to you again from my dining room table in uh, River Park in South Bend. And this is the South Bend City Church Podcast. Uh, I know the, these episodes have been a little bit irregular because our gatherings have been a bit irregular. But this is uh, to bring you a little bit of what we did on September 25th, just a few days ago, on a Sunday night in South Bend, when we gathered to listen together and to bring many voices together about what South Bend City Church might become. Uh, so one of the highlights for me that night was that Dan Dietrich led us in worship, and Dan is on our staff team. Uh, Dan and his wife and their kids are moving from St. Joe, Michigan to South Bend to be a part of this movement, to be a part of this church, and I'm so pumped uh, that Dan is going to be with us. Um, he's immensely talented, but he also just has a heart that's as genuine as they get, and uh, it means a lot that our community will be uh, led and shepherded and ushered into moments of prayer and silence and music and worship uh, by Dan. I'm, I'm so pumped that he's on our team. Uh, that's just one example of what's happening right now because a whole bunch of people have been so generous to give. And so I just want to remind you um, that, that you could be a part of this by giving, whether you're from a faraway place and you're just listening along and you're cheering for us, or maybe you're a part of this growing community right here in South Bend. Uh, but you can give by writing a check and sending it in the mail, or you can give online. And by the way, have you guys seen our new website? I'm so pumped about this. Uh, months ago, I like watched a couple of Squarespace tutorials and created our original website, which is basically a landing page. But we've been able to uh, develop a fresh website that begins to tell our story and invite uh, our neighbors into it. So if you haven't been to southbendcitychurch.com lately, you should definitely check it out. And while you're there, you can meet our team, learn a little bit about Dan and others who are joining us. You can give online and you can pay attention to what's coming up around the corner. Like, for example, our next gathering on Wednesday, October 5th. We'll be back at the Brick in South Bend at 6.30 p.m., and this is an, a night that's going to focus on listening to our neighbors. So we've been doing some work behind the scenes. We've been reaching out to other church leaders in South Bend, to city leaders, to nonprofit leaders, uh, different communities that may feel very different from our own, but who are our neighbors, and we want to love them really well. And we think that loving our neighbors begins with listening to our neighbors. And so our next gathering on Wednesday, October 5th, is going to focus on listening to them. I hope you guys will join us. It's 6.30 p.m. at the Brick. Uh, we've got Kid Care. Uh, we, we tried this for the first time on this last gathering, and it went really well. I've talked to parents who had their kids uh, at the YMCA, and it seemed to have gone really well. So the YMCA shares a parking lot with the Brick where we're gathering, and they have really, really generously offered to help us care for kids during these events. So if you've got a child age six weeks through, I think, 11 years old, um, you can check your kid in at the YMCA before our event starts. They're going to have a great experience. I heard parents whose kids said, I can't wait to go back. When can, when can we go back, mom and dad? Um, so that'll be available. And that way that uh, kids can be well cared for and safe and have a great time and uh, parents in our community can rally together around our event at the Brick. So that's coming up. Uh, we would love to see you there uh, Wednesday, October 5th. If you have kids in particular, it's really helpful that you register so that we can tell the YMCA how many people are coming. Uh, but I hope we see you then. And now we'll turn our attention uh, to this last gathering that we did this past Sunday, September 25th. This was a chance for us to listen together to the many voices in the room, the many voices that are shaping our community called South Bend City Church. And we did that uh, by tapping into a story that we first looked at uh, quite a while ago, back in May, the story of Moses and the burning bush. We kind of started there and took it from there to explore um, how it is that we diagnose and dream 
and sacrifice together so that we can shape what we are becoming. Uh, so uh, let's tune in. This is going back a few days. Oh, one note. Um, I, <laughs> I was so excited. I had this prop, which was pyro, which was a, a windproof Zippo lighter. And I was so excited to use it until I realized that windproof is apparently a very uh, subjective term because <laughs> it kept going out on me. So you might hear me referring to that as I talk. Uh, but here you go. Here's last Sunday as South Bend City Church gathered to listen together. Moses sees a fire. I've always wanted to preach with pyro. And Moses sees a fire. He actually says that he sees a bush that's burning, but it doesn't burn up. And he turns and he looks at this fire that's burning at the bush. And a voice speaks out of the bush and says, Moses, Moses. And then from the fire, God speaks. And God talks to him about something going on in the world that is not okay. So God speaks and he says, my people, the Israelites, they're enslaved and that needs to change. Now we can like read that part quickly because we think we know that part of the story. Maybe, maybe you've read through the Bible or you sat in Sunday school or, or maybe you just think to yourself, I don't know the story, but I get that slavery is a bad thing. So that makes sense, right? Well, we should time out for a second because this is a time and place in the world where I don't think there were a lot of people that were very conscious of the fact that slavery was a bad thing. This is a place where slavery is more like the status quo. We're owning people and, and power structures like that. That's just the way things go. But this voice speaks out of the fire and the fire is the place where something gets diagnosed. God says, this is no good. It needs to change. The fire is the place where something gets diagnosed. Like, it's as if there's water that you're swimming in, but you don't realize you're in the water. Like, asking a fish, how does it feel, right? Like, the fish says, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've been in the water so long, I don't even know what you mean by water. And God speaks from the fire, and the fire is the place where something gets diagnosed. And in a world where some people own other people, God says it shouldn't be that way. Something needs to change. Have you ever, have you ever had like a wake-up call moment like where you, you just you look at everything around you and you're like, something needs diagnosed here. Something needs named here. Something needs called out here. Maybe it's the big stuff like the national or international stuff. Like I, I was watching news earlier this week and one of the cable news channels is doing a quick summary of how the campaigns are going for the two candidates for the American presidency. And they do this inventory and they do wins and losses for each candidate, like things that have happened this week that are working for them and against them. And this cable news network, in summarizing both candidates' status right now, under the win category said the bombings that happened in the Northeast were a win for each candidate. Now there, there was a little more subtext to it because they talked about that candidate is describing a particular narrative for the world that we're living in. But you look at our cable news and it says, we live in a world right now where a bombing is a win for the people who want to lead us. 
Have you ever felt like something needs diagnosed? <laughs> like something is not right. We are swimming in toxic waters. There's something poisonous in the air. Have you ever felt like something needs diagnosed? Uh, maybe it's in a family structure that you've been a part of, uh, much more intimate and close to you, a system that's toxic in some way. Something needs diagnosed. Have you ever felt it um, in your school or in, among your friends or in your neighborhood or in our local headlines or in your church or somewhere in your own heart and life? Maybe it's just your particular pattern, the way you are living. Something needs diagnosed. There's some broken pattern or behavior, and you've just sort of made peace with it. You've just sort of resigned yourself to it. And every once in a while, we need fire to come, right? We need fire to speak up. We need a flame that burns and diagnoses it and says, this is not the way things ought to be. This is not the way things should be. The fire is the place where the world gets diagnosed. This was easier in my head when I wasn't thinking about holding a microphone, and I'm almost certain I'm going to drop this at some point, and set on fire the only single thing that South Bend City Church owns, which is this rug. <laughs> but it's an experimental gathering, so we'll see what happens, okay? Well, there's, there's an interesting thing uh, that develops there. So the fire burns, speaks to Moses, diagnoses the slavery should not be this way. God's people should not be trapped this way. They need to be free to worship, to live out who they were meant to be. Well, a little while later in the story, God's people, they are liberated, and they find themselves in the wilderness, and then they are called to build a tent where they will worship and gather around God, right? And pretty soon that tent gets relocated in a permanent structure called the temple in Jerusalem, and this is the place where the altar is, and this is the place where they come to worship, and this is the place where they sense God's presence with them, and this is the place where they reconcile themselves to God, and this is the place where they wrestle with all of the ways that their lives or the world around them have fallen short of what it means to live with God. They call it a temple. And there's this instruction in Leviticus uh, chapter 6. This is for the tabernacle and for the temple. It says that you're going to build an altar there in the temple, right? And then referring to the altar, it says in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offering on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. And again, just in case you didn't hear, it must not go out. So there's fire in the bush, and then there's fire in the temple. Now, what's going on in the temple this, um, this mystified me for years because I'd read like Leviticus or I'd watch like really, really cheesy Sunday school movies with the temple. And it seemed like this very, very weird, mysterious, arcane, ancient thing that I couldn't really connect with. Like I like Jesus around the campfire or at the dinner table, but the temple's weird, right? <laughs> like what's going on in there, you know? Well, part of that's because we're just so far removed from it. And part of it's because maybe we haven't visualized it. So let me sort of take you into the temple and you can close your eyes if you want, if that helps. But let me just sort of take you into the temple and you kind of feel this out. So as you approach the temple, the first thing that you're going to notice are these two pillars, Jacob and Boaz. And Jacob and Boaz, they're pillars, but they hold up nothing except they go up to the sky. These are two pillars. that It's like they're holding up the sky. Now, to you and me, that's just kind of like maybe they forgot to build a canopy. <laughs> but this is for ancient people. And if you read ancient texts, you discover that ancient people thought of the world as being covered in a great dome which really isn't that crazy because they were smart enough to figure out that things that are up come down unless they're held up, right? 
And they look up and they see things that are up, like stars and cloud movements and water that comes down. And if you're a little bit smart and you know that things that are up must come down unless they're held up, then something must be holding them up. And so not that crazy, they imagine a dome, a big old dome up there. And if things that are up must come down unless they're held up, then the dome is going to come down too unless something holds it up, right? Which is why the ancients, and you can read this all over ancient Near Eastern literature, why they conceived that there were, there were cosmic pillars, substantial pillars in the earth that held up the dome, like the mountains. And so you walk into the temple, and the first thing that you see are two pillars that are holding up something like the sky, right? And then you walk into the opening courtyard there, the sort of the foyer, if you will, of the temple, and you see this big bronze sea. It's this huge cauldron, and it has water in it. And then you, you've passed through into, the, into the, the main room of the temple, and what you see around you isn't otherworldly imagery. What you see around you is a bunch of uh, tree imagery, arboreal imagery, as if you've walked into a garden. And then you look at the place in the temple where God's presence is most known and felt, that, that far into the temple, the Holy of Holies, and there's this curtain between you and that space, and that curtain has something embroidered on it. What's embroidered on it? Stars. And here's the point. The temple might seem like this weird, ancient, mysterious thing. Let me tell you what a temple is. A temple is a world reimagined. A temple is a world reimagined. A temple is like a little model, like a little diorama of the world, not the way it appears to eyes that have a hard time seeing, but the temple is a world the way it really is, the way it ought to be, the way God intends for it to be in the place that he is taking it to. And so, for example, you may live in an everyday life where God feels so far away, but then you come into the temple and God's presence, it is right there. It's kind of in your face. It's kind of um, made known to you that God is not so far away. He's not abandoning you. He's not walked away from you. You may live every day seeing a world that feels empty of God, but you walk into the temple and it reimagines the world with God right there at the heart of it, right? Or maybe, um, maybe you, you fear the chaos of the world and you fear that it will swallow you up, whether it's uh, geopolitics or your family, <laughs> or your friends, or your finances, whatever, wherever, however the chaos seems to come, you're afraid that it will swallow you up. Well, when an ancient Near Eastern person thinks of chaos, they thought of one thing, the wild, raging, untamed ocean, which is why when you walk into that courtyard, you see the water contained, which reminds them of what God did in the very beginning when he separated the waters from the land, which is their way of saying all of that chaos all of that chaos is nothing compared to God. He'll rein it in, trust him. Temple's a way of reimagining the world. Now this matters, right? Because we're talking about fire. And fire doesn't just burn in a bush with Moses in a wild place, diagnosing everything that's wrong with the world. Fire also burns on an altar. <laughs> that kind of ruins the metaphor. Fire burns on an altar in a holy place 
where the world's being reimagined, where dreams are being fueled again, where people are being awakened again to see the way things could be, should be, ought to be, believing that maybe that's exactly the work that God is up to in the world. Fire is not just where the world's being diagnosed. Fire is where the world is being re-dreamed, reimagined. Now, there's a, this moment in Pentecost, they call it in the book of Acts, where something that's easy to read over, because maybe you've heard the story before, ought to just like grab us, shake us, confuse us, wrestle with us, work on us. And I want to read to you from the book of Acts chapter 2. This is uh, the chapter in the Bible that most people like think of as the birth of the church. This is like the delivery room of the church, of the thing that you and I are trying to be a part of, want to give our lives to, want to build together. This is that moment in the book of Acts chapter 2. This is after Jesus has gone to be with the Father, and he promised them a certain kind of gift. He said, I'm going to send a certain kind of gift to you. I'm going to send my grace to you. I'm going to not leave you alone. And this is the moment when that promise comes true in Acts chapter 2, and we read verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And that lists all these different places that they're from and the way that every one of them is hearing what they need to hear. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Now, I want to kind of pause there for a moment because this is another one of those places in the Bible where things can feel really spooky, right? We have temples and tongues and languages being spoken, but I don't, I don't want to miss the heartbeat of what's happening here. Remember, fire is where the world is being diagnosed, and fire is where the world is being re-dreamed, and fire ends up on every one of them. Every one of them. This is important for a lot of reasons. It's important because maybe you're the kind of person you feel like you've been told there's no fire for you. Maybe you feel like you're not good enough to have the fire. You couldn't handle the fire. You're not strong enough to have the fire. You don't have the pedigree to hold the fire. You're not the kind of person that gets the fire. Maybe you've been told, like, you don't get to have the fire. But here it is. When we read the disciples, by the way, we need to know this is a, a ragtag, diverse crowd of people, okay, men and women, religious pedigrees and religious pagans being drawn into this experience of fire together. And maybe you've been told there's no fire for you. Or maybe you've gotten, like, used to the fire, taking it for granted. Like the idea that you and I, that we get to be a part of God diagnosing the world and that we get to be a part of God redreaming the world. Maybe, maybe the problem for you isn't that you've been told it can never be you. Maybe you've been like taking it for granted. The idea that like we could just like show up on a Sunday in a room like this, gather it for a time like this, do a thing like this, and actually believe that we are part of God diagnosing and redreaming the world. Or maybe you've been part of a system that thinks like it's the preacher's job to show up and bring the fire, right? There's actually this quote, this like famous quote from this famous preacher, and he said, my job as a preacher is to set myself on fire and let them come watch me burn. 
<laughs> Sounds a bit masochistic, I know, right? But like, you get the heart of it. But I hear that and I think, yeah, like, I, I mean, I have a part to play in this, right? Like, I better, I, I better bring some fire. I think that's true, right? But I don't think my job is like to be the fire keeper here. I think my job is to encourage one of, all, all of us, every one of us, to look at each other and, and see the fire in each other, like fuel the fire in each other. If it is, if it is, um, if it's just like a little bit of kindling that are that's barely smoking, right, as the fire begins. It's that, that very gentle, nurturing, sort of whispered breath on that fire to, to coax it into a rage, right, into a roaring warmth and light, right? If it's a fire that's about to go out because there's no fuel left, it's about bringing more to that fire, right, about bringing what we have for one another, with one another, to each other, isn't it? And if that fire is raging, isn't it about using it to bring light into the world and warmth into the world and sharing it with other people? Because the fire is not just for preachers or pastormen. The fire is for everyone. And the fire is where things are being diagnosed that desperately, badly, deeply need diagnosed. And the fire is the place where the world is being re-dreamed, reimagined. And we badly need more communities, more huddles of people, more families, more churches, diagnosing what is broken in us and around us and redreaming things together, don't we? I mean, right now, I feel that a lot. I feel it when I read the headlines, and I feel it when I go to bed at night and know that my life looks very little like what I hoped it would look like that day. Don't we need that? We need the diagnosing and the dreaming in sort of equal measure. Now, Peter, he gets asked what's going on, and then I really, really like how this turns in the conversation, because verse 13, some who are hearing all this commotion, they make fun of them, and they say they've had too much wine. And Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, and said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> Which, come on, right? Like, it's a funnier joke, because we live in South Bend, where Notre Dame tailgating happens. He says, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he reaches way back into the memory of their people and way back to other moments when it seemed like that fire was burning very bright for them. And they read from Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. All people, not just the right ones, not just the inside ones, all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. There's prophecy, and there's visions here. Now, by the way, prophecy, that gets like weird. People think that's about future telling. Maybe sometimes in the scriptures, but prophecy really all the time what it is is about truth telling. Prophecy is about diagnosing. Prophecy is about, like, being the one voice in the maddened, crazy crowd who says, guys, this is wrong. This is stupid. This is broken. This isn't working. This isn't the way it ought to be. That's what a prophet's voice does. The prophet diagnoses, which is why he pulls that verse in when the fire shows up, because the fire is where the world is being diagnosed. And then he says, you will have visions and dreams. You'll, you'll, you'll shake off the way that you've been growing cynical, the way you've just accepted that this is the way things are, this is the way things will always be. He says, you're going to have fresh dreams. You're going to get lit up again for the way that things could be, for the way that things should be, the way that we ought to be when we are together, and the way that we ought to be when we go out into the world to love our friends, our neighbors, and do our work. He says, you're going to have fresh dreams because the fire is the place where the world gets re-dreamed, reimagined. So we want to do some diagnosing and some dreaming tonight. 
And this is for, for everyone, wherever you are coming from in the room. So if you're a person who, like, the language I'm using right now, like, makes sense to you, it's a part of your tradition, you feel really comfortable with it, that's awesome. This is for you. If you're a person who feels, like, kind of removed from, like, opening a book like this or reading from it or telling these stories, or if you're a person who the songs that we sang or the way that we prayed, maybe that, that's kind of foreign to you or not something that you can, like, totally embrace, I just want to say we desperately need your voice, too. This is for every kind of voice in the room. This is for the people who feel like they've been told you don't get to have the fire. This is for people who maybe you've taken for granted the fact that you have the fire. This is for people who thought only the preacher was supposed to have the fire. This is for everyone to do some diagnosing and dreaming together. So this is sort of the centerpiece of the night. We're about to get to it. The centerpiece of the night is all of us reflecting, listening, praying together, diagnosing and dreaming, answering questions like, if you're going to be a part of South Bend City Church, or even if you're not sure, I don't know, maybe you're just here tonight just to check things out, but like, what do you want to become? I mean, really, like, what do you want to become? I don't mean like, like, what do you hope will happen to you, uh, you know, but like, in your inner world, like, what do you hope to become? How do you hope courage or love will bleed out of you in your future? What, what do you hope to become? What do you hope South Bend City Church becomes? What, what do you hope we become together? And this isn't, this isn't um, just, you know, I hope the coffee's good. Although there's nothing wrong with wanting good coffee, right? But this is, this is the, like stretching further, like going a little deeper, especially as we diagnose and dream together. And even what do you hope our city will become? What would it take for South Bend to be a place where more people flourish, where more kinds of people flourish? Or people with big bank accounts or no bank account, or people with educations or not a lot of formal education, people with different histories and different futures, where all kinds of different people flourish. What should South Bend become? And how do we intersect that? How do we lend our weight to that? Diagnosing and dreaming together. So we have uh, a few stations kind of arranged around the room. You may have noticed this. Um, to talk you through these, I want to turn your attention to the prayer prompts card. It's kind of the one page long one here. Turn to the side that has the triangles in the background. Now, uh, by the way, has anybody seen our new website? Come on, guys. It's way okay, the first one, if you're wondering, the first one was me with a Squarespace tutorial. The second one isn't. Can you tell? That's good, right? Aren't you glad we get to have good people do what they do? Yeah, thank you for giving. Uh, um, yeah, so, uh, so you may recognize this from the website. You may recognize this from our early vision meetings. This shouldn't surprise you if you've been a part of the conversation, although we've been trying to refine the way that we've been talking about this. And so this sort of is a framework for us tonight, and it's a framework for our dreaming and our diagnosing, and it's a framework for the activity spots that we have around here. So let me sort of take you at the beginning there, our rooted faith. You see that uh, it's called a triquetra, that old Celtic-looking triangle with a circle behind it there. We're part of an ancient faith that reveals God as Father, Son, and Spirit. This story says that this world is here because God wants it to be here, and it tells us that love is at the center of everything. This faith has been moving through the world for thousands of years, leaving a legacy of wisdom that we honor. At the center of this faith is Jesus, who makes possible a deeper humanity and a more beautiful world. We don't always live up to this possibility, but we are cheering for each other and helping each other become students of Jesus as we work toward embodying this faith. That's our way of, of talking about our roots, about knowing that we didn't like come up with this on our own today, right? That we are part of something that has come before us. 
And so to sort of help us reflect, I mean, you, could, you can sit in your chair during this time that we're about to move into and just use that space, but also you could head to that corner back there. And we've got a stack of scriptures. We've also got um, other, some other sort of ancient language that comes to us from our tradition about what it means to be the church and what it means to be human. And the deal there is, like, if you want to, just come back there. I'll be back there. I'll be reading the scriptures if, if nobody else wants to. But if anybody else wants to, we'd love to just, like, they'll probably, maybe there'll be 10 people huddled over there or 20. You can kind of walk through the room. But as you pass by, if anybody wants to grab a scripture, just, just, just read it. Does that feel scary to you guys? I know it's a little, it's a little unstructured. It's a little, it's a little out there. But that's what experimental gatherings are for. It's for many voices and lots of ownership and taking bold little steps and not just having preacher men up front read the scriptures, but letting everybody sort of put these words on their lips. And so we'll be over there. You can walk by. You can hang out there for a few minutes. And if you're really bold, just like come up and I'll hand you one of the scriptures and you can read it. And I'm pretty sure they don't have any of those weird old words that nobody, including me, knows how to pronounce. But if they do, you get a pass. Okay. So that's going on over there. That's a way of just reflecting on our rooted faith. And we'll have time to sort of move through the room. If you want to, you can go there and let those words pass over your ears, or better yet, put them on your lips, okay? That's, uh, that's that one. And then the middle uh, paragraph there, a changing world. That's a Greek delta behind uh, that triangle there, which means change in math equations, which I didn't know until like three months ago because I failed high school math. I wish I was joking. Um, here we go. Our world is brimming with new discoveries and changing conversations. And we think authentic faith should be brave enough to ask the questions that come from all of that change. When scientific discoveries challenge our understanding of how the world works, or when we meet a neighbor who has a different way of understanding God, or when we're confronted with other ideas about what it means to be human, we think the tension created in those moments can be a good thing. We want to be a community that wrestles with those questions and tensions together. This is about our changing world. So back here in this corner, uh, our man Dan has put together uh, sort of a slideshow, some snapshots, some headlines of the changing world that we are living in. Now you say like, okay, summarize the changing world in 12 slides. That's tricky, right? <laughs> so here's the deal. Like we were looking through these and we were like, oh man, maybe people are going to think we meant something by that or we had an agenda behind that one. We really don't, you guys. This is just meant to sort of provoke whatever it provokes for you. It's just a very random sort of sampling of different things that are happening right now in the world that we're living in. Good things, bad things, unknown things, exciting things, beautiful things, scientific things, political things, religious things, challenging things, race-driven things, all sorts of things happening in our world. We, just, we don't want to diagnose and we don't want to dream without feeling very much in touch with the changing world that we are living in. So that's going on in that corner. And you can just walk over for a bit if you want. It'll just sort of rotate those slides and you can just kind of let them come at you and do whatever they do to you. Like let them provoke you or inspire you or break your heart or do whatever they do. Uh, but that's meant to help us reflect on our changing world. And then the last paragraph here, city context. Uh, it's, it's a little harder to see, but there's a map of South Bend with the river hiding behind this paragraph. Among us, you'll find lifelong South Bend residents, recent transplants, university students, and people from all over the Michiana region who are invested in the city in a variety of ways, even if they don't live here. But our focus is South Bend, and that matters to us. We're here to love and serve the city, to celebrate its beauty, to listen to its stories, and to bear its wounds. That's a big job, so we're grateful for the networks of communities and organizations that have been carrying this burden since long before we arrived. And together with our neighbors, we're going to give our lives for the flourishing of those who call South Bend home. 
Now, over in this corner, um, there's a photographer in South Bend, a really good dude named Jacob Titus. And Jacob's also a community leader. He, uh, he works as the director of the Beacon, which is a community center on the west side. And Jacob takes really beautiful photography of the city of South Bend. And Jacob was so generous as to not only let us use some of his prints, and these are like art prints, you know, like they hang in art installations. But he actually, uh, some of this photography, he actually went out and shot just for our gathering uh, so that we could use it to help us reflect on our city context. And then we have our beautiful new South Bend City flag in the corner, too. Uh, so that's just a place to help you reflect on the city a little bit. Um, and I, I thought about describing exactly what's going on in the pics, but I thought, you know what, just let them speak to you however they do. Uh, but these are all from the city. They express something of the city that we're here to love and serve and give our hearts for. Uh, that's for our city context. Now, in case uh, a little more prompting is helpful, on the back side of the same piece of paper, you'll see a little more sort of instruction or inspiration here. There's some prompt questions that may help you get the juices flowing. But listen, there's no right answers, and you don't have to follow any template, and you don't have to go by the plan, okay? So if you want to stay in your seat, we're going to do this for about 15 minutes, okay? We're going to play some music in the background. You can stay in your seat. Uh, you could go to each station for a few minutes and just see what it provokes for you. You could do like a, a real quick lightning round and get back and do the writing. You could linger for a while if something stirs in you. It's okay if you don't feel anything or think anything right away. It's okay if you don't feel anything or think anything the whole time. But I think if we all listen and, and press in, I think we'll discover there is more fire in the room than we realize. Maybe you'll discover there's more fire in you than you realize. And maybe that'll be what stirs you up to diagnose and dream a little bit about what's going on. Now, one more note about the fire. When Moses finds the fire in the bush, God speaks and diagnoses that the slavery is not okay. And you think, that sounds good, God. Go for it. Get after it. Do something about that. But God says, oh, no, uh -uh, uh, this is involving you too. And I'm going to confront all your insecurities. <laughs> I'm going to confront all your insecurities. I'm going to drag you into uncomfortable places. This involves you too. And then at the temple there, the altar is not just there for a good campfire, right? You know what happens at the altar in the temple? Something gets sacrificed. Something gets surrendered. The fire is not just the place where the world gets diagnosed. The fire is not just the place where the world gets redreamed. The fire is the place where something gets sacrificed. Something gets surrendered. And so it makes sense that Jesus is able to give this gift to every kind of person because he sacrifices and he surrenders everything. He lays it down. The fire is the place where something gets surrendered. So before we turn to this sort of round-robin experience in the room here, uh, I just want to invite all of us into like two minutes of silence. It may be that the stuff that you wrote on, on one side of the card is all really, really good. Like maybe it's, it's good and beautiful and comes from a noble place inside you. But even so, like maybe, I, I know for me, as, as I've moved through this over and over again in the last six months, I've been confronted with how much of what I thought was my dream for South Bend City Church was really just my dream for me. Like, it would be fun, it would be more interesting or exciting, it would be the thing that I want it to be. And I've had to wrestle from time to time with um, what needs to be surrendered in those desires for me. And I think that's a good place for all of us to begin. So maybe that the stuff that you wrote is really good and noble, it may be that it's like as superficial as what I wrote, I don't know. <laughs> 
But here's what I thought we would do. We would, we would spend a couple minutes, and uh, we tried some silence at our first gathering back in May. I was amazed at how interesting it is to sit silently with one another and meditate for a moment, reflect. So we're going to sit quietly for just about two minutes. And then when that two minutes is done, um, Dan's just going to go ahead and start the music at that point. So when you hear the music, um, feel free to move around the room. We'll give it about 15 minutes, and then we'll sort of huddle back up to pray and worship one more time. Uh, and here's one more note. On these cards, um, what we would like to do is get them from you at the end of all this writing. So if you've already written something that you weren't planning to turn in or share, that's okay. You could um, maybe find another card. We could, there's other cards on the tables that you can grab a fresh card, and you could do some writing that you feel comfortable sharing with this community. Um, but we think it'd be really great like, to actually like, hear these voices together. And when we gather 10 days from now on October 5th on that Wednesday, everything that comes out of this gathering will sort of be on display and that gathering, there's going to be sort of an end to this where it shows up as we reflect together about what the fire did tonight, okay? So, uh, two minutes of silence, and then when the music starts, feel free to move about the room. Uh, feel free to stay in your seat, but uh, at the end of that 15 minutes, uh, maybe you'll have written a few things uh, that need diagnosed in, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your heart, in your life, in South Bend, in the world. Maybe you'll be written a few things that have been dreamed in you in this time together about what we could be, about what we could become, about what South Bend could become if we help, about what South Bend City Church ought to become. Sound good? Okay. Uh, let me say a brief prayer before this, uh, this silence. Loving God. We thank you for the fire that comes to every kind of person. For a gift that makes no distinction between who's in or out, who's good enough or strong enough or smart enough or pedigreed enough. We thank you for a community that can rally around the fire that you give to each one of us. We thank you for the truth that speaks and diagnoses, whether it's the stuff within us or the stuff all around us. We thank you for the dreaming that happens when our imaginations get reawakened to what really could be, what should be, in fact, the very thing that you're building through your kingdom right now. And I thank you for a community of people who are willing to show up and take a risk and experiment and surrender. So help us now, God, to surrender and dream and diagnose and look into the future together. And now we sit in silence for a moment and ask you to help us in Christ's name. Amen. So that was a little bit of what happened on last Sunday, the 25th. And I got to tell you guys, um, the, the different things that were written as people moved around those stations are really beautiful and profound and challenging for us as a community as we move forward. Uh, don't miss Sunday, Oct or sorry, Wednesday, October 5th. It's coming up in a few days. We're going to spend a little bit of time reflecting on what we heard from one another this past event. And then we're going to turn our attention to the voices of our neighbors. Uh, please join us. Uh, register your kids. Register yourself, too, so we know how many seats to rent. That's always a good thing. And we'll see you uh, on Wednesday, October 5th at 6.30 p.m. at The Brick. <laughs>